Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, our guest speaker. Yes, beauty of growing up in a church that thought that drums were from the devil. That's why I became a rock star as a teenager. Uh, not to be rebellious or anything, of course, you know, because the sin of rebellion, how does it go? I don't know. Anyway, good morning, NBC. Uh, it's great to be here with you again. I want to say hi to Elisante in Tanzania, who is watching. Hi, Elisante. Good. Bummer that I can't see you, but good that you see us. All right. Uh, so last week, I introduced this part of Scripture that we're looking at as some of the most depressing and some of the most frustrating parts. Well, um, last week was pretty good compared to this week. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's hard to believe, right? But uh, this week, we're talking about the fall of the Northern Kingdom. If you look at this fancy timeline we have over here, we're now about... Where it says 722 B.C., well, that's where we're going to end up today. So we are making strides through the story of the Bible. It's uh, pretty amazing. When you, uh, oh, by the way, if you need a handout to follow along uh, in your, you know, lap with the notes, the ushers are coming around, and they will hand out handouts. So you can uh, raise your hand. They will give you a handout and a pen to take notes. All right. Thanks, guys. One of these days, I will not forget this. Maybe I should put it in my notes or something. Good. Anyway, so we're looking at the Bible, and one thing that's really interesting, when you look at the Old Testament, and you only look for the hand of God, it can be confusing, it can be difficult, but when you look at the heart of God in the midst of it all, which is revealed, everything changes, and so that's what we're going to do today. As I said, last week was pretty good compared to this week when it comes to depressing and frustrating but we will look for God's heart in the midst of this. And I think we're going to leave here lifted up and not just, you know, beaten down before the week even starts. Uh, so last week we met Ahab, right? If you were here. And he was the worst king that Israel had seen yet. He introduced Baal worship in Israel, which was a hypersexualized way of worshiping, which ultimately devalued people devalued uh, those around uh, the Israelites and brought about injustice and oppression. We saw how based on his worldview, he then felt free to kill Naboth to steal his vineyard, right? And then we saw how God confronted him and said, look, I'm going to destroy you because of these things. And then we saw how he repented and how God forgave him. That was a very bright spot. Well, that, that's, that's maybe a little generous, but a bright spot in the northern kingdom. Because after Ahab, there were another 131 years of kingdom of Israel with only bad kings. There was not one single good king. How, how many presidents does the United, did the United States have? I'm going to take my citizenship test here uh, in a few weeks. 45, right? We're at number 45. Is that right? Any Americans out here? No? Okay. All right, 45. Uh, how many of those 45 were evil? How are we defining evil? Well, you know, 
that's what's interesting. In the Bible, it's defined as kings that were only ruling to please themselves. Kings that were oppressing, kings that did not follow the Lord wholeheartedly, kings that engaged with other gods, devaluing themselves and people around them. And the northern kingdom only had evil kings. And still in the midst of this, we see how God is pursuing them. He did not give up on his people, which is amazing, right? He continued calling out to them through the prophets, and he even saved them using an evil king because he felt compassion for them. Let's take a look at that here on our screen. This is in 2 Kings 14, 26 to 27. It says here, the Lord, the Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under the heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son, son of Jehoash. So God had great compassion. He saw the suffering. He was very aware. And he saved them. But the thing is, they did not acknowledge or thank him. Uh, now we have to realize that God is not personally offended when people, people do not acknowledge or thank him. He is not personally offended. What he is concerned about is what that does to people. You know, if you do not acknowledge God, you also forget the one whose image you are made in. And your value and your purpose comes from being made in the image of God. And when you forget this, you forget your value, it's easy to hurt yourself and it's easy to hurt others. And that's what this is about. God is concerned about us and what it does to us when we forget Him because it devalues everyone around us. Are you guys with me? It's really key. If you think He's personally offended, it becomes really weird and vindictive. And then you read this and you misinterpret because you will only see the hand of God thinking, oh, He's here to smite. Smite me, almighty smiter kind of a deal, right? That's not, that's not, that's not what's going on here. All right, but we will look at that in a few minutes, how uh, Israel forgot who their God was and then went oppressing and exploiting those that couldn't defend themselves. All right? So God continues to call out to them through prophets that he sent, which shows that what they're doing is not pleasing to him, but that he does not just want to destroy them, but he wants them to change. Amen? Do you see that? So we meet a couple guys here in, uh, in this sermon today. One is called Hosea. A prophet. Another prophet is called Amos or Amos. And then we're also going to look at Isaiah or Isaiah, I guess. Isaiah. Isaiah. I can't. I'm sorry. Even though I'm taking the citizenship, that accent is still a little elusive. All right. Isaiah confronted social injustice that you know, was supported by false religion. Amos confronted social injustice. And Hosea confronted idolatry and showed what happens when people commit idolatry. All right, so uh, let's look at Hosea first. One of the most extreme ways to show his love and broken heart over his people is seen in Hosea. Let's take a look at this. Uh, it says here, this is what the Lord said to Hosea in verse 2. It's up here on the screen. It's in your handout. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute, 
by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Very fitting picture when you think of the way they worshiped, okay? So what do you think about that? I mean, <laughs> what would you do if God came to you and said, I want you to marry a prostitute? Get behind me, Satan, you know? You'd be like, what is going on? I'm, I'm trying to worship God here and I have this thought come into my mind, you know, away with you. Hosea wrestles through all of that, you know, I don't know what it was like for him. But uh, think of all the explaining he would have to do, you know. He would go down to the market where they sold prostitutes, you know, in our days that may be a red light district. And uh, people maybe recognize him and they go, hey, you're a man of God, what are you doing here? Oh, well, uh, the Lord told me to come here. The Lord, huh? Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> you know. Or uh, people always ask me, how did you and Brandy meet? You know, what, what if somebody asks him, hey, so how did you and Goma meet? Oh, it's a little bit of a long story, you know. <laughs> I've got time. Okay, well, we met at the sex market. Oh, so she's a minister too. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, awkward. But these conversations are intentional because they preach. The Lord is trying to make a point through this whole ordeal. Like this prostitute, Israel has been unfaithful to the Lord through doing evil and idol worship, right? And then what happens is Hosea marries Goma and she continues on in her line of work. And so in chapter 3, the Lord speaks to Hosea again. And this is what he says. It says here, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. I don't know, I mean... When you look at that stuff, that's pretty intense. And God is trying to show his people how much he loves them. In the midst of all their evil, God pursues them with a relentless love and maybe even an embarrassing love. Amen? He makes it very clear that the problem is not with him. Do you see that? The problem is not with him. He wants his people back. The problem is that they simply don't see it or believe it. Can you see that? Do you believe that God wants you and that he's doing everything possible for you to see that? Do you believe that, that he wants you? See, we tend to feel so condemned and uh, shameful that we assume that God would not want us. I don't even want myself. How could God want me? But Hosea shows us this uh, overwhelming Never-ending, reckless love of God. Maybe somebody should make a song about that. <laughs> Listen, there's nothing that you could do, nothing, that would get God to stop loving you. Nothing. But uh, you can reject His love. You can do that. And God's not going to force you to receive His love because that's not how love works. That's not how He created it, right? So they rejected his love and in doing that kept hurting themselves and oppressing others. So another prophet that we meet is Amos. Amos 
is a foreigner that comes to preach in Israel. He's from the country of Judah. And there was a lot of wars between Judah and Israel, you know, people that are very close to each other, oftentimes nations that are close to each other in culture and identity oftentimes don't get along. And so this foreigner comes into Israel, into Samaria to preach there. Uh, he is also not a professional prophet, by the way. He is a fig grower, which is interesting, right? Can God speak to nations through you, even though you're not trained in ministry? You betcha, right? That's what you say. You betcha. Of course. <laughs> Amos is living proof. Uh, so Amos confronts the social evils in Israel, and we're going to take a look at that. At this point, Samaria, which is the capital city of uh, Israel, has classy and expensive taste. They have gotten rich. The Lord helped them through Jeroboam. They've gotten rich. And maybe they misunderstand something because the law of the Lord says, if you do these things, it will go well with you and you will have riches. All right, so they look at themselves like, we're doing really well. The Lord must be blessing us, but God makes it clear. He's like, no, actually, you're not rich because I'm blessing you. You are rich because you're exploiting you're exploiting those that cannot defend themselves. Okay? Riches does not necessarily equal blessing. Riches does not necessarily equal blessing, but uh, with riches come great responsibilities. The Lord says, I will bless you to be a blessing. If you forget this to be a blessing part, oftentimes you will realize that the riches you have may not even be a blessing from the Lord, but maybe because you got them in a bad way. That's what, you know, what was happening here in Amos, and so the passages, passages, excuse me, the ideas that we're about to look at, they apply very much to our world today. You know, many of you have heard about uh, modern-day slavery, which still exists today. The definition of that is any form of forced human exploitation for labor or service. Any form of forced human exploitation. So this does not necessarily cover sweatshops. People always get bent out of shape about that. Sweatshops can be good jobs in a community, maybe not as good as we like them here, but this is forced labor where people are enslaved. Sometimes the methods are, you know, hey, we offer you a job, we pay your way to come here and work for us. When you get there, they say, oh, you owe us money, you've got to work it off, but nobody tells you how long it will take. All right, 21 million people is a conservative figure. 21 million slaves today, it's probably more like 30 million which is absolutely incredible. Um, I want to play a quick video here that kind of shows the scope of this so we can actually talk about something that was not just back then but also today. So, uh, Josh, if you have that video up, that'd be great. So, 
this stuff is for real, it's happening, and we definitely benefit from it as a society. And I'm not bringing this up to make you feel bad or guilty or horrible, but for you to know, and we have to ask ourselves, with these incredible injustices, where is God? What does he think about it? Why isn't he doing something about it? Okay, um, I have met many young people that are passionate about ending human, slave, uh, human trafficking and modern-day slavery, uh, extreme poverty in our lifetime. And oftentimes when they start fighting and addressing it, they get so overwhelmed by the needs. And then while you're there doing something, it's easy to say, well, this injustice is too big. I'm doing something, but where is God? Maybe the theology says that God somehow planned this, that everything happens for a reason. And so many of them say, well, if I am doing something about this, but God isn't, am I more merciful than God? And if that is so, is he worthy of worship? So I've seen many passionate shipwreck in their faith. So we benefit from what we just watched, tires, shirts, flowers, shoes, chocolate, coffee, pieces of the cell phone. And um, God is calling us to make a difference, you know, either become aware in the way that we spend our money, you know, uh, for me and uh, for us in YWAM, I work with a, a company in YWAM called the Ethical Trading Company, there we go ethical trading company where we source items from people safe from slavery to then uh, give them a better living. And I want you to know about these things because these things um, bless the heart of God. We have partners in Cambodia who um, rescue and train and provide a market for people that otherwise would only have um, prostitution as an option. And there's also many clothing, uh, clothing factories there and large Western corporations would come to Cambodia and make a contract with the people, say, look, you're going to make us all these shirts and we're going to pay you this much. So far, so good. That's fine. But then when it's time to come and pick up the stuff, they go and they will say, well, you know, thanks for making this. We're going to pay you about half of what we agreed on. And that's not okay. But that's what makes our shirts cheaper. And we need to know about that not because we want to spend more money necessarily, but because we have a moral responsibility. Amen? So, let's look at what Amos has to say about this, to see how God feels. Is that okay? All right. So let's look at Amos 2, 6 to 8. It says, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. And this is the way that Amos speaks to the nations, okay? And then he says, what are the sins of Israel? He says, they sell the innocent for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. So the law of the Lord very clearly says that you are not to do this. If you take a pledge a coat or a garment as a pledge from a poor person. You're, to, you're supposed to return it that night, every night, so they can sleep in it and have something to cover with. They don't do that. They oppress. They exploit. 
Okay? In Amos 4, 1 to 2, we have a very non-flattering language by the prophet where he refers to women in Samaria as cows. <laughs> yes. Let's, uh, let's take a look at that. It says here in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says, Hear these words, or hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks, which basically describes the way that Assyria took captives. Okay, so it's a historical reference. Uh, so Amos is called by God to confront injustice, but ultimately God's heart for Israel is to live. We see this in Amos 5. You find this phrase over and over, the phrase that says, come back to the Lord and live. If you look at Amos 5.5, 5, Amos 5.6, he says, come back to the Lord and live. Come back to the Lord and live. This is what I want for you. Come back because then injustice and oppression ceases and you will live. Amen. Amos 5.7, it says here, you twist justice, making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. Amos 5, 10 to 15 continues. We're going through this. As I said, these are things that are happening and we need to know, to know how we can respond, right? So it says, you hate honest judges, how you despise people who tell the truth. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you will never drink wine from them. For in all the vast numbers of your sins and the depths of your rebellion, you oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So those who are smart keep their mouths shut, for it is an evil time. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. Incredible, right? And by the way, this is not written to you. You cannot read this as, oh, the Lord is really mad at me. This is written to Israel in that historical context. And on our timeline, we see fall of the north, 722 B.C. When Amos came at the late 800s, it was not a done deal yet. The way that the Lord spoke to them was, I want to have mercy on you, which is interesting. So Amos preaches all these things, you know, and uh, you would think that when the people hear this, they would say, oh, man, maybe we should change our ways, right? Maybe we should do something about this. And uh, we actually do see a way that they responded, and this is by Amaziah. Amaziah was the priest in the north, and he went to Amos, and, you know, you hope that he would say, hey, thanks for preaching here. Here is your honorarium. We all repented. <laughs> something like that, you know. But no, here's what he says. He says, get out of here, you prophet. Go on back to the land of Judah and earn your living by prophesying there. Don't bother us with your prophecies here in Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary and the national place of worship. So how did he respond? Get out of here, prophet. You know, we don't, we don't want you here. What are you doing talking, about, talking against our national monument of worship? 
you see a total rejection of the Lord and a total rejection of what he's calling them to do, right? So as they continue on in their stubbornness, they really reject God's loving kindness and they choose the path of death. In 722, Samaria is destroyed. The Assyrians uh, take him. It was really a bad political maneuver by the last king, Joash. Uh, no, Hosea. Hosea. And uh, we find a prophetic evaluation of this that I want to read for you. Is that okay? Take a look here at uh, 2 Kings 17, 13. It says, Again and again, the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah. Right? Again and again. We've talked about it for two weeks now. And they said, Turn from all your evil ways. Obey my commands and decrees. The entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I gave you through my servants, the prophets. But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as the ancestors who had refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he made with the ancestors and they despised all the warnings. They worshipped worthless idols so they became worthless themselves they forgot their value they followed the example of the nations around them disobeying the lord's command not to imitate them they rejected all the commands of the lord their god and made two calves from metal they set up an asherah pole and worshiped baal and all the forces of heaven and here is the lowest point they even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire they consulted fortune tellers and practiced sorcery and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. Sacrificing your sons and daughters in the fire was another way of worshiping that was extremely cruel. And you can look it up if you want to. That's all I'm going to say to that because my six-year-old is here. <laughs> this is one of the saddest accounts in Scripture. God had continually shown his loving kindness to his people. He was warning them. He sent his prophets. He sent his prophets to marry a prostitute to show them his love. He confronted the evil and unjust wave through Amos. Do you see that? He threatened judgment with the hope that they would repent like Ahab did many years ago. But the people refused to listen. And finally, judgment did come. That's a tough one. In Scripture, we see that God does not want to bring judgment, that He's calling His people to return, to choose life, to stop oppressing, and to stop worshiping things that are of no value. But there comes a time when He can no longer protect His people in their injustice. And it, you can see that it got really, really bad from what we just read. Right? He removes His hand of protection, which He has warned He would do for many years. In this case, the Assyrians come in and destroy the land. God had warned and warned, and the people did not care. Now, I, I want to give you a picture here of this. Uh, consider all the injustices that are happening, all the innocent blood that is being shed, all the oppression of those that cannot defend themselves. When you watch movies like that, you get really angry and riled up, and you go, like, come on, somebody needs to come in and do something about this, right? Um, now, imagine someone comes to help those that are being crushed. And an invisible hand keeps pushing them away, saying, nope, nope, these are my people. You're not going to touch them. How would you feel about that? You know, it would be like God fending off attempts when Liam Neeson comes to take his daughter and his wife back and taken and taken too. 
right? It wouldn't make any sense. So we have to see this in its context. God does not want to bring judgment, but in Scripture we see how it comes at times. And it's rare, and it's always redemptive. God always brings something new. Um, there's this theologian, his name is Abraham Heschel, and he says that the punishment of God or the judgment of God could be compared to the job of a surgeon who sometimes has to hurt in order to heal. That means if I have a lump on my arm and I go to my, my doctor and I tell, hey, doctor, I've got this lump here, can you check it out? He says, yep, it's cancer, it's going to kill you. But you're a good man, I don't want to hurt you. So... Uh, we're not going to do anything about it. He would be a failure. Right? He has to cut into my arm and cut that thing out so I can live. And this is what God is doing when things have gotten so bad that it actually threatens the whole world. He will step in. He does not want it to come to that point. So he says, look, go to chemotherapy. Do something about this. Change. But when people don't, he has to step in. So as judgment came to the north, God actually preserved the south which was an incredible miracle. You read this, if you read the story, the chapter 16 story this week, you read about Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah saw an incredible miracle how God preserved Judah from the Assyrians when they ruled the rest of that world. It's really cool when you look at a map and you see how everything is red for Assyria and there's this tiny little dot of Judah and you go like, they have no chance. And then God steps in and saves them. This was important because the Assyrians took Israel and they assimilated them with other people. There was no national identity, no understanding of the God that they were supposed to worship. Um, Israel was gone. But when Babylon came and took Judah, they took Judah and then they transplanted them into their nation and allowed them to worship their own God, keep their customs. Kind of like, you know, when you go to New York City and you see little Italy, a uh, little Poland, if that exists, you know, Chinatown. People have their cultures and their customs and their worship and their gods. That, that's what it was in, in Babylon. That's how God preserved the people for which he was going to bring the Messiah, which is incredible. Incredible commitment. Okay? So, why are we talking about this? What does that mean for me? You know, I've got to go to work tomorrow and deal with grumpy co-workers. Why, what do I care about? <laughs> Amos and Hosea, you know, I'm not going to marry a prostitute. So why are we talking about all this? So what, right? As I mentioned before, Hosea shows us to what lengths God will go to show his people how much he loves them. It foreshadows Jesus coming to earth and giving his life, making the ultimate sacrifice so we can understand God's love we can see that he still wants us. Amen? Amos shows us that injustice is not God's will. It's not God's will. When you go and you fight injustice, God is not your enemy. He sees and he is displeased. And he's calling for his people to do justice and love mercy rather than to oppress those that cannot defend themselves. We're going to finish up with Isaiah or Isaiah who was a prophet prophesying at the same time as Amos and Hosea. And I want to finish up with um, a passage about fasting to see what truly matters to God. Okay, so we're going to read this together, uh, talk about it for a little bit, and then uh, we're going to 
go on our way. So bear with me here. Let's read this together. This is the Lord speaking to Isaiah. He says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation. They would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourself by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? So they're doing all the right things, thinking they can get a benefit from that, right? So the Lord says, no. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide, your relatives, hide from relatives who need your help. Then... Listen to this. This is amazing. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Isn't that amazing? These people were doing everything right according to externals of worship and fasting. But their hearts didn't change. They didn't know what God truly valued. Or maybe they knew because they had the law, but they didn't care. Isaiah is showing what the Lord is really looking for. He does not care about them looking good on the outside, but he's looking for the heart. You know, he says, I could care less about your religious exercise, you fast and you want your prayers to be heard, but you keep oppressing those that can't defend themselves. I want you to understand what I value, which is you, so you may adopt the same values. As a result, you will be a voice for the voiceless and a defender for those that can't defend themselves. Do you want your light to shine forth? Do you want the Lord to guide you? Do you want water when you're dry? Do you want your strength restored and your wounds to heal? Let me read it again. 
This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. When you look at that, basically what God is calling them to do is what? He's calling them to love, right? He's calling them to love, to sacrifice and to choose the highest good for themselves and those around them. And you know, he's the one that pours his love into our hearts, he says in Romans. He pours his love in our hearts so that it may flow forth from us. John 7, 38, those who believe in me, streams of living water will gush forth from within them. That's what God wants. That's what he does in us. All it takes is for us to say, Lord, I want to learn to value what you, what you value. I want to learn to love like you love. Break my heart for the things that break yours and teach me to love like you do and value those around me. Amen? So the application for today, as you reflect on everything we have heard today, how is the Lord responding you or challenging you to respond to this message? You know, maybe for the first time today you saw that God cares for those that can't defend themselves. Maybe that was new. And as you receive this revelation, ask Him what you are to do with this. How can you be a voice for the voiceless? I always tell people changing the world and ending modern-day slavery uh, can be quite boring. <laughs> We're not all called to go and bust indoors, and that's actually very ineffective and also dangerous. But we can run a stand where we sell things made by people that have been saved from slavery, which some of you are going to do helping us out at Life Fest. Thank you very much. You know, what are things that you can do? What is God calling you to do? It starts with our heart. Where do I not value people the way I should, Lord? Would you help me change and value people? Amen? And maybe for the first time today you saw how God truly loved his people despite their wickedness. And it helps you understand his great love for you. Now, I pray that this love takes a hold of your heart and brings about changes in our lives that only love can do. Yes, Lord, pour out your love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and may streams of living water gush forth from within us so that Madison and the world may see your love and kindness. Amen. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at metrobelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin, 53744.